Volume One, Chapter Fifteen of The Day Will Come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen. For men have marble, women waxen minds, and therefore are they formed as marble will. The weak oppressed, the impression of strange kinds is formed in them by force, by fraud or skill. Then call them not the authors of their ill inclination would have taken theodore dalbrook to dorsetshire before the christmas holidays gave him an excuse for going home but he wrestled with that haunting desire to revisit the priory and to begin again tete-a-tete -tete with his cousin in the dimly lighted room where she had talked to him of her own sorrows and of his ambitions the memory of that last evening was the most vivid element in his life it stood out like a spot of light against the dull grey of monotonous days and the burden of dry-as-dust reading but he had told her that he should not see her until christmas time and he was not weak enough to indulge that insane longing for the society of a woman whose heart was in the grave of her husband november and the greater part of december stretched before him like a long dark road which had to be trodden somehow before he came to the inn at which there would be light and comfort cheerful voices and friendly greetings he set his face resolutely towards that dark prospect and tramped along doing the work he had to do living the life of a hermit in those chambers in ferret court which had already taken the stamp of his own character and looked as if he had lived in them for years he had no need to sit alone at night with his books and his lamp for there were plenty of houses in which he would have been welcome his name was a passport in legal circles old friends of james dalbrook's were ready to welcome his kinsmen to their tables eager to be of service to him he had his college friends too in the great city and need not have been companionless but he was not in the mood for society of any kind old or young except the society of blackstone coke and justinian and divers other sages who out of the dim past shed their light upon the legal wilderness of the present he sat by his fire and read law and laid down his book only to smoke his meditative pipe and indulge in foolish waking dreams about that grave old house in dorsetshire and the young widow who lived there he had followed two of those three children of the old squire two out of the three faces in the picture in the hall at cheriton to the end of their story no man could discover any postscript to that story which in each case was closed by a grave there remained only one last unfinished record the history of the runaway wife the end whereof was open to doubt that unlucky lady's fate had been accepted upon hearsay it had been said that she had died at boulogne within a year or so after the vicar met her there upon his return from jersey theodore wrote to his father's oldest and most experienced clerk begging him to hunt up the evidence of mrs darcy's death so far as it was obtainable at cheriton or in the neighbourhood the clerk replied as follows after an interval of ten days dear sir i have been twice to cheriton and have made inquiries cautiously as you wished with respect to the report of mrs darcy's death some fifteen years ago and saw mr dolby the doctor and gaster at the general shop who as you are no doubt aware is a gentleman who busies himself a good deal about other people's affairs and sets himself up for being an authority upon most things mr dolby i found very vague in his ideas he remembered the late vicar telling him about having met mrs darcy in the market-place at boulogne and being shocked at the change in her he told mr dolby that he did not think she was long for this world but it was some time after when dolby heard some one he could not remember who it was assert that mrs darcy was dead gaster had much more to say upon the subject he pretends to be interested in all reminiscences of the strangways and boasts of having served cheriton house for nearly forty years 
he remembers evelyn strangway when she was a little girl handsome and high-spirited he remembered the report of her death at boulogne getting about the village and he remembered mentioning the fact to lord cheriton at the time there was an election going on just then and his lordship had looked in to consult him joseph gaster about certain business details and his lordship seemed shocked to hear of the poor lady's death i suppose that is the end of the family my lord gaster said and his lordship replied yes that is the end of the strangways gaster believes that he must have read of the death in the newspapers perhaps copied from the times into a local paper at any rate the fact had implanted itself in his mind and it never occurred to him to doubt it i asked him if he knew what had become of the lady's husband but here his mind is a blank he had heard that the man was a scamp and that was all he knew about him since making these inquiries i have spent a long evening at the literary institute where as you know there is a set of the times in volumes extending over a period of forty years i have looked through the desks for three years taking the year in which gaster thinks he heard of mrs darcy's death as the middle year out of three but without result it is of course unlikely that the death would be advertised if the poor lady died friendless and in poverty in a foreign town but i thought it my duty to make this investigation awaiting your further commands etc etc there was nothing conclusive in this and theodore felt that the history of mrs darcy's later years remained to be unravelled it was not to be supposed that the runaway wife who if she were yet living must be an elderly woman could have had an act or part in the murder of sir godfrey carmichael but it was not the less a part of his task to trace her story to its final chapter then only could he convince juanita of the wildness of that idea which connected the catastrophe of the twenty ninth of july with the exiled strangways when he could say to her you see that long before that fatal night the squire's three children had vanished from this earth she would be constrained to confess that the solution of the mystery was not to be sought here he went over to boulogne saw the english chaplain and several of the hotel keepers he explored the cemetery and examined the record of the dead he visited the police and he made friends with the elderly editor of an old established newspaper but from all his questioning of various people the result was blank nobody remembered a mrs darcy an englishwoman of distinguished appearance but fallen fortunes a woman long past youth and yet not old if she had lived for any time in boulogne she had left no trace of her existence if she had died and been buried there she had left no record among the graves boulogne could tell him nothing he came back to the great wilderness of london the rallying point for all wanderers it was there perhaps that the end of evelyn strangway was to be sought he had as it seemed to him only one clue the name of her governess the governess was only seven or eight years older than the pupil and she might have survived her pupil and might have been in communication with her till the end jasper blake had told him that there was a strong attachment between sarah newton and the wayward girl she taught to hunt for a governess among the thousands of portionless gentlewomen who try to live by teaching might seem more hopeless than the proverbial search for the lost needle but theodore did not despair if miss newton had remained a spinster and had continued to exercise her vocation as a teacher she might be traced through one of those agencies which transact business between governess and employer but on the other hand if as was more likely she had long ago abandoned the profession of teacher and had made some obscure marriage she would have sunk into the vast ocean of middle-class life in whose depths it would be almost impossible to discover her the first thing to be done was to make a visitation of the agencies and this task theodore began two days after his return from boulogne 
he had methodized his life by this time devoting a certain portion of his days to his cousin's interests but in no wise neglecting the work he had to do for his own advancement he had known too many instances of men who had made reading law an excuse for an idle and desultory life and he was resolved that his own course should be steady and persistent even to doggedness he had been told that success at the bar was nowadays almost unattainable that the men of the day who had conquered fame and were making great fortunes were in a manner miraculous men and that it was futile for any young man to hope to follow in their steps the road they had trodden was barred against the newcomer theodore listened to these pessimists yet was not discouraged he had told himself that he would emerge somehow from the obscurity of a country solicitor's practice would bring himself in some wise nearer the social level of the woman he loved so that if in the days to come one gleam of hope should ever shine upon that love he might be able to say to her my place in life is the place your father held when he offered himself to your mother my determination to conquer fortune is not less than his he seldom passed the dingy door of the ground-floor chambers on which the several names of three briefless ones were painted in dirty letters that had once been white without thinking of his fortunate kinsman without wondering what his life had been like in those darksome rooms and in what shape fortune had first appeared to him he had not married until he was forty long and lonely years had gone before that golden summer-tide of his life when a young and lovely woman had given him happiness and fortune how had he lived in those lonely years tradition accused him of miserly habits of shabby raiment of patient grinding and scraping to accumulate wealth theodore knew that if he had hoarded his earnings it had been for a worthy end he had set himself to win a place among the lords of the soil the land he loved had been to him as a mistress and for that he had been content to live poorly and spend his nights in toil for such miserliness theodore had nothing but admiration for he had seen how liberally the man who had scraped and hoarded was able to administer a large income how generous as a master friend and patron the sometime miser had shown himself he spent more than a week in visiting the numerous agencies which are employed by the great governess class and the result of that painstaking exploration was not altogether barren he succeeded in finding an elderly personage at the head of an old established agency who kept her books with praiseworthy regularity and who remembered sarah newton she had had no less than four miss newtons on her register at different times but there was only one sarah newton among them and for this lady she had obtained a situation in the lake country so lately as july twentieth eighteen seventy three that is to say about eleven years before the period of theodore's investigation on that date miss newton had entered the family of a mr craven the vicar of a small parish between ambleside and bonus she was living in that family four years afterwards when miss palmer the principal in the agency last heard of her and in all probability she is living there still said miss palmer at her time of life people are not fond of change i remember her when she was a young woman full of energy and very impatient of control i used to see her much oftener then she seldom kept a situation over a twelvemonth except at cheriton chase she was more than a year in that situation i think cheriton chase i don't remember the name someone else may have got her the situation how long ago was she there do you suppose asked miss palmer turning over one of her neat basil bound registers it was in the year forty seven she left cheriton ah then it was not we who got her the situation my first entry about her is on the eleventh december forty eight she paid her entrance fee of one guinea on that date 
it is higher than that of inferior agencies but we take real trouble for our clients and we make it our business to be safe upon the point of character we are as careful about the families into which we send governesses as about the governesses we introduce to families the next day was sunday and theodore employed that day of rest in travelling by a very slow train to bonus where he arrived at five o'clock in the evening to find mountain and lake hidden in the densest grey and an innkeeper who seemed neither to desire nor deserve visitors happily the traveller was of the age at which dinner is not a vital question and he was hardly aware of the toughness of the steak or the inferior quality of the codfish set before him in the desolate coffee-room he had a diamond virgil in his pocket and he sat by the fire reading the sixth book by the paraffin lamp till ten o'clock and then went contentedly to a bedroom which suggested ghosts or at least nightmare no deadly visions troubled him however for the slow train had brought about a condition of abject weariness which resulted in dreamless slumber the sun shone into his bleak bedchamber when he awoke next morning and the lake stretched beneath his windows silver shining melting dimly into the grey of the opposite shore the rugged mountains were sulking still and only showed their rugged crests above dark rolling clouds but the scene was an improvement upon the avenue of chimney-pots and distant glimpse of a murky thames as seen from the ferret court his landlord greeted him in a more cheerful spirit upon monday morning than he had evinced on sunday evening when his after-dinner lethargy was rudely disturbed by a guest whose business-like air and small gladstone bag did not promise much profit a visitor who would want a dinner off the joint most likely and a half-crown breakfast a visitor whose libations would be limited to bitter beer and an occasional whisky and soda such a guest in a house that was beginning to hibernate was a burden rather than a boon this morning however the landlord was reconciled to his solitary customer having told his wife that after all little fish are sweet and he went blithely to order the dog-cart his own cart and own man ostler in the season coachman or anything you please out of the season to drive mr dalbrook to kettisford vicarage a nine-mile journey it was a pretty out-of-the-way nook half hidden in a cleft of the hills at which theodore arrived a few minutes after noon a little old-fashioned world-forgotten village and a sprawling old grey-stone house covered with virginia creeper passion-flower and the feathery leafage of the trumpet ash a long low house with heavily thatched roof projecting over its upper casements a sleepy-looking old house in a still sleepier garden so remote and so sheltered that winter had forgotten to come there and the great yellow roses were still blooming on the wall fattened by the misty atmosphere of the adjacent lake glorified by the untainted air november was half over yet here the only signs of autumn were the grey sky and the crimson of the virginia creeper the vicar of kettisford was one of those privileged persons who can speak with their enemies at the gate assured of being backed up in their speech by a family contingent the vicarage seemed overflowing with young life from the very threshold of the hall were cricket bats a tricycle a row of well-used tennis rackets a stupendous array of hats overcoats and comforters testified to that quiverful so esteemed in the patriarchal age a conscientious performer was pounding at the harmonious blacksmith upon a wiry piano near at hand having left the door wide open with the indecent disregard of other people peculiar to juvenile performers upon all kinds of instruments from the other side of the hall came the twanging of an equally wiry guitar upon which girlish fingers began and for ever recommenced a spanish melody which the performer was striving to attain by that agonizing process known among young ladies as picking up an air mark gentle reader what the learned and reverend hawass has to say upon this art of playing by ear 
from a remoter room came young voices and young laughter and amidst all these sounds it was hardly surprising that mr dalbrook had to ring three times and to wait in front of the open hall door for at least ten minutes before an elderly housemaid responded to his summons and ushered him into the vicar's study the one room in the vicarage which was ever fit to receive a visitor the vicar was reading a newspaper in front of a comfortable fire he was an elderly man of genial and even jovial aspect and he received mr dalbrook's apologetic account of himself and his business with perfect good humour ah you want to see miss newton my dear sir i am sorry to tell you she left us nearly two years ago heartily sorry for sarah newton is a very worthy woman and a jewel of price in a motherless family like mine said the vicar i regret that you should have come such a long way to find her when had you written to me i could have told you where to look for her in london yes it was a mistake to come so far without making preliminary inquiries only as she had not applied to her usual agent for a new situation i concluded that she was still under your roof she has not gone into a new situation mr dalbrook she was too much valued in this house to wish to change to another employment although she might have lived more luxuriously and done less work elsewhere she was a mother to my girls ay and to my boys as well while she was with us and she only left us when she made up her mind to live an independent life she has left off teaching then i conclude yes she had a little bit of money left her by a bachelor uncle safely invested in railway stock and yielding about two hundred a year this with her own savings made her an independent woman and she made up her mind to realize her own ideal of a useful life an ideal which had been developing in her mind for a good many years a life which was to be serviceable to others and yet pleasant to herself do you mean that she joined some sisterhood no no mr dalbrook sarah newton is much too fond of her own way much too independent and fiery a spirit to place herself in a position where other people would think for her and where she would be obliged to obey she told me her plan of life very frankly i have about two hundred and sixty pounds a year she said i can live comfortably upon half that money if i live after a plan of my own and i can do a great deal of good with the other half if i do it in my own way i am elderly and plain if i were to live among small gentilities i should be a nobody and in all probability i should be considered a bore i shall take a lodging in a poor neighbourhood furnish my rooms with the utmost comfort treat myself to a good piano and collect my little library book by book from the second-hand booksellers i shall spend half my days in going quietly about the poor young woman of the district i ought to know what girls are after nearly forty years teaching and managing the species and i shall spend half my income in doing as much good to them as i can in my own unorthodox way i knew the good that brave little soul had done in this parish in her quiet unpretentious fashion and i felt no doubt she would carry out her plan have you seen her since she left you yes i went to see her last june when i had a fortnight's holiday in london i found her in a shabby old house in lambeth not very far from st thomas's hospital but dingy as the house looked outside our good sally's apartments were the picture of comfort i found her as happy as a bird her plan of life had answered her highest expectations my friends are legion she said but i haven't a single gentility among them sally is a desperate radical you must know will you give me her address that i may write and ask permission to call upon her 
you shall have the address but i doubt if she will feel disposed to receive you she will count you among the gentilities i must try my chance at any rate i want her to throw some light upon the history of one of her earliest pupils did you ever hear her talk of cheriton chase and the strangway family my dear sir i have heard her talk of any number of places and any number of people i used to tell her she must be a female methuselah to have passed through so many experiences she was very fond of telling stories of the families in which she had lived but though i used to listen i remember very little about them my girls would remember better i have no doubt they can give you chapter and verse i dare say so the best thing you can do is to eat your luncheon with us and then you can ask them as many questions as you like theodore accepted the offer with gratitude and ten minutes afterwards followed the vicar into the dining-room where three tall good-looking girls and two straggling youths were assembled and where a fourth girl and another boy dropped in after the rest were seated the board was spread with a plenteous but homely meal a large dish of irish stew smoked at one end of the table and the remains of yesterday's roast ribs of beef appeared at the other the girls were evidently accustomed to droppers in and received theodore with perfect equanimity alicia the eldest carved the beef with a commanding wrist and the third daughter laura administered to his appetite with pickled walnuts and mashed potatoes the girls were all keenly interested directly he spoke of miss newton they pronounced her a dear old thing not a bit like a governess we all loved her said alicia and we are not the easiest girls to get on with i can assure you we have had two poor things since sally deserted us and we have driven them both away and now we are enjoying an interregnum and we hope that dear father will make it a long one did you ever hear your governess talk of the strangways miss craven what evelyn strangway of cheriton chase i should think we did indeed cried laura she had a good many prosy stories chestnuts we used to call them but the cheriton chase stories were the most chestnutty it was her first situation and she was never tired of talking about it do you know if she kept up her acquaintance with miss strangway in after-life asked theodore i think not at any rate she never talked about that she knew something about the poor girl's later life something very bad i think for she never would tell us she used to sigh and look very unhappy if the subject was touched upon and she used to warn us against runaway matches as if any of us would be likely to run away from this dear old father protested laura leaning over the table to pat the vicar's coat-sleeve why he would let us marry chimney-sweeps rather than see us unhappy there was a good deal more talk about sarah newton her virtues and her little peculiarities but nothing bearing upon theodore's business so he only stayed till luncheon was finished and then wished the amiable vicar and his family a friendly good-bye offering to be of use to them in london at any time they might want some small business transacted there and begging the vicar to look him up at his chambers when he took his next holiday you may rely upon it i shall take you at your word said the parson cheerily you've no idea what a gay old dog i am when i am in town a theatre every night and a little bit of supper afterwards i generally take one of my lads with me though to keep me out of mischief good-bye and mind you don't fall in love with sally newton she's old and ugly but she's one of the most fascinating women i know theodore drove off in the dog-cart with all the vicarage family at the gate waving their hands to him as if he had been an old friend and with four vicarage dogs barking at him he went back to london that night and wrote to miss newton asking leave to call upon her upon a matter relating to one of her old pupils on the following day 
he should take silence to mean consent and would be with her at four in the afternoon if he did not receive a telegram to forbid him he worked in his chambers all the morning and at a little after three set out to walk to lambeth the address was fifty one wedgwood street near the lambeth road it was not a long walk and it was not a pleasant one for a seasonable fog was gathering when theodore left the temple and it thickened as he crossed westminster bridge where the newly lighted lamps made faint yellow patches in the dense brown atmosphere under these conditions it took him some time to find wedgwood street and that particular house which had the honour of sheltering sarah newton it was a very shabby old street the shops were of the meanest order and the houses which were not shops looked as if they were mostly let off to the struggling class of lodgers but it was a street that had evidently seen better days for the houses were large and substantially built and the doorways had once been handsome and architectural houses which had been the homes of prosperous citizens when lambeth was out of town and when the perfume of bean blossom and new-mown hay found its way into wedgwood street the ground floor of number fifty one was occupied by a shoemaker a shoemaker who had turned his parlour into a shop who made to measure but was not above executing repairs neatly the front door being open theodore walked straight upstairs to the first landing where there was a neat little dolton ware oil lamp burning on a carved oak bracket and where he saw miss newton's name painted in bold black letters upon a terra-cotta coloured door the stairs were cleaner than they generally are in such a house and the landing was spotless he rang a bell and the door was promptly opened by a lady whom he took to be miss newton she was rather below middle height strongly built but of a neat compact figure she was decidedly plain and her iron-grey hair was coarse and wiry but she had large bright eyes which beamed with good nature and intelligence her black stuff gown and narrow linen collar the knot of scarlet ribbon at her throat and the linen cuffs turned back over perfectly fitting sleeves were all the pink of neatness and suited her as no other kind of dress would have done the trim figure the bright eyes and the small white hands made a favourable impression upon theodore in spite of the lady's homeliness of feature and complexion walk in mr dalbrook she said cheerily pray come and sit by the fire you must be chilled to the bone after coming through that horrid fog ah oh, how i hate fog it is the scourge of the london poor and it sometimes kills even the rich and now we are only at the beginning of the evil and there is the long winter before us yes it is very bad no doubt but you do not look as if the fog would do you much harm miss newton no it won't hurt me i am a hardy old plant and i contrive to make myself comfortable at all seasons you do indeed he answered glancing around the room i had no idea that anybody could be so comfortable in lambeth she said interpreting his thoughts no people think they must pay for what they call a good situation poor pinched widows and shabby spinsters spend more than half their income on rent and taxes and starve on the other half in order to live in a genteel locality some dingy little street in pimlico perhaps or a stucco terrace in kensington here am i with two fine large rooms in a forgotten old street which was built before the age of shoddy i live among poor people and am not obliged to sacrifice a sixpence for the sake of appearances i buy everything in the cheapest market and my neighbours look up to me instead of looking down upon me as they might if i lived among gentilities you will say perhaps that i live in the midst of dirt and squalor if i do i take care that none of it ever comes near me and i do all that one woman's voice and one woman's pen can do to lessen the evils that i see about me 
it would be a good thing for poor neighbourhoods if there were many ladies of your mind miss newton said theodore basking in the glow of the fire and looking lazily round the room with its two well-filled bookcases occupying the recesses on each side of the fireplace its brackets and shelves and hanging pockets its large old-fashioned sofa and substantial claw-footed table its wicker chairs cushioned with bright colour its lamps and candlesticks on shelf and bracket ready to the hand when extra light should be wanted its contrivances and handinesses of all kinds which denoted the womanly inventiveness of the tenant well i believe it would if only a small percentage of the lonely spinsters of england would make their abode among the poor things would have to be mended somehow there could not be such crying evils as there are if there were more eyes to see them and more voices to protest against them you like this old room of mine i see mr dalbrook added sarah newton following his eyes as they surveyed the dark red wall against which the brackets and shelves and books and photographs and bits of old china stood out in bright relief i am full of admiration and surprise it is all my own work i had lived in other people's houses so long that i was charmed to have a home of my own even in lambeth i was determined to spend very little money and yet to make myself comfortable so i just squatted in the next room for the first three months with only a bedstead a table and a chair or two while i prowled all over london to find the exact furniture i wanted there's not an article in the room that did not take me weeks to find and to buy and there's not an article that wasn't a tremendous bargain but what an egotistical old prattler i am women who live much alone get to be dreadful prosers i won't say another word about myself at any rate not till after i've made you a cup of tea after your cold walk she had seen the mud upon his boots and guessed that he had walked from the temple pray do not take any trouble nonsense it is never trouble to a woman to make tea i give a tea-party twice a week i hope you like tea i adore it but pray go on with your account of how you settled down here i am warmly interested that's very good of you but there's not much to tell about myself said miss newton producing some pretty old china out of an antique cupboard with glass doors and setting out a little brass tea-tray while she talked there was a small copper kettle singing on the old-fashioned hob and there was a covered dish of toast in the capacious fender miss newton's dinners were ever of the slightest but she was a sybarite as to her tea and toast no cheap and powdery mixture no inferior dosset for her she made her brew with a dainty precision which theodore admired while she went on talking do you like the colour of the walls yes i painted them and you like that paper on the ceiling i papered it i am rather a dab at carpentering too and i put up all those shelves and brackets and i covered the chairs and stained the boards round that old turkey carpet and then after a day's hard work it was very pleasant to go and stroll about among the bookshops of an evening and pick up a volume here and there till i got all my old friends about me i felt like a only i had no bridget to share my pleasure she seated herself opposite to him with a wicker table in front of her and began to pour out the tea he wondered to find himself as much at home with her as if he had known her all his life it is very good of you to receive me so cordially he said presently i feel that i come to you as an unauthorized intruder can you guess why i was willing to receive you she asked looking at him intently and with a sudden gravity can you guess why i didn't telegraph to forbid your coming indeed no except because you are naturally kind 
my kindness had nothing to do with it i was willing to see you because of your name it is a very familiar name to me dalbrook the name of the man who bought the house in which she was born poor soul how she must have hated him in her desolate after years how she must have hated the race that ousted her from the home she loved you are talking of evelyn strangway yes she was my first pupil and i was very fond of her all the fonder of her perhaps because she was wayward and difficult to manage and because i was much too young and inexperienced to exercise any authority over her it is of her i want to talk to you if you will allow me certainly i like talking of those old days when i was a girl i don't suppose i was particularly happy at cheriton chase but i was young and we most of us hugged the delusion that we were happy in our youth poor evelyn so often in disgrace so often unhappy from the very dawn of girlhood what reason can you have for being curious about her i have a very strong reason though i cannot explain it yet awhile i have set myself to discover the history of that banished race after the angel with the flaming sword stood at the gate that is to say after mr dalbrook bought the property by the by what are you to lord cheriton his son perhaps no i am only a distant cousin is it on his account you are making these inquiries he is not even aware that i am making them indeed and pray how did you find me out my tea-parties are not recorded in the society papers i have never figured among celebrities at home i took some pains to find you said theodore and then he told her of his visits to the agencies and his journey to the vicarage in lakeland you have taken infinite trouble and for a small result i can give you very little information about evelyn strangway afterwards mrs darcy did you lose sight of her after you left cheriton yes for a long time it was years before we met again but she wrote to me several times from lausanne during the first year of her banishment doleful letters complaining bitterly of her father's cruelty in keeping her away from her beloved cheriton the horses and dogs the life she loved school she detested she was clever but she had no taste for intellectual pursuits she soon wearied of the lake and the mountains and the humdrum society of a small town she wrote of herself as a galley slave then came a sudden change and she began to write about him you don't know the way a girl writes about him the first him she has ever thought worthy to be written about her tone was light enough at the beginning she had met a young irishman at a little evening party and they had laughed together at lausanne society he was an officer on furlough full of wit and fun i need not go into details i saw her danger and warned her i reminded her that her father would never allow her to marry a subaltern in a marching regiment and that such a marriage would mean starvation her father would give her nothing it was incumbent on her to marry well and with her attractions she had only to wait for a good offer it would inevitably come in due time she was handsome i suppose i know her face in the picture at cheriton my cousin bought all the old portraits she was much handsomer than the picture that was painted when she was only fifteen but at seventeen her beauty had developed and she was one of the most brilliant blondes i ever saw well i suppose you know how useless my advice was she ran away with her irish admirer and i heard no more of her for nearly four years when i met her one afternoon in the strand and she took me home to her lodging in cecil street and gave me some tea 
it was in october and i stayed with her till dark and then she insisted on seeing me off in the omnibus to haverstock hill where i was then living in an artist's family the lodgings were shabby and she was shabbily dressed she was as handsome as ever but she looked worried and unhappy her husband had sold out of the army and had a position as secretary to a west end club she told me that she would have been pretty well off but for his extravagance he was getting four hundred a year and they had no children she complained that it was her fate to be allied with spendthrifts her father had squandered his fortune and her husband's improvident habits kept her in continual debt and difficulty it grieved me to see the shabbiness of her surroundings the squalid lodging-house parlour without so much as a bunch of flowers or a stand of books to show that it was in the occupation of a lady there was a cigar-box on the mantelpiece and there was a heap of newspapers on the sofa and a pair of shabby slippers inside the fender it was a room to make one shudder i asked her if she was reconciled to her father and she said no she had heard nothing of him since her marriage i felt very unhappy about her after we parted at hungerford market i saw her standing on the pavement as the omnibus drove away a tall slim figure distinguished-looking in spite of her shabby mantle and rusty black silk gown i had promised to go and see her again though i was very seldom at liberty at that time and i went to cecil street two or three times in the course of the winter but she was always out and there was something in the tone of her letters that made me think she did not wish to see me again though i believe she was fond of me always poor soul i saw nothing more of her and heard nothing until nearly four years afterwards when i was spending an afternoon at richmond with my pupils two girls of fourteen and sixteen and i came face to face with her in front of thompson's seat she was with a tall handsome man whom at first i took to be her husband but there was something in the manner of both of them that impressed me uncomfortably and i began to fear that this was not her husband she looked much brighter than when i saw her in cecil street and she was better dressed very plainly but in excellent taste she took me aside a little way while her companion stood and talked to the two girls she put her arm through mine in her old caressing way and then she said abruptly i almost wonder that you will speak to me i thought you would cut me dead i looked puzzled no doubt so she said perhaps you don't know what a lost creature i am perhaps you have not heard i told her i had heard nothing about her since we parted at hungerford market and then she gave a deep sigh and said well i am not going to deceive you that with a jerk of her head towards the man who was standing with his back to us is not my husband but he and i are bound together for the rest of our lives and we are perfectly happy together society would scorn us and trample upon us no doubt if we gave it a chance but we don't we live out of the world and we live for one another now aren't you shocked with me don't you want to run away she asked with a little laugh which sounded as if she were very nearly crying i told her that i was very sorry for her i could say no more than that you would be sorrier still if you could picture to yourself the miserable life i led before i left my husband she said i bore it for five years years that seemed an eternity he cared for me no more than for the flower-girls in the street he left me to pine in my dingy lodging left me to be dunned and worried all day long left me out at elbows ashamed of my own shabbiness while he amused himself at his club and then he considered himself cruelly used when he found out there was another man in the world who thought me worth caring for 
and then i told him i loved that man with all my heart my leaving him was the impulse of a moment the moment came when his brutality turned the scale and i ran out of the house in my despair and jumped into the first cab i could hail and drove away to him pointing to the man in the distance strolling beside my two gawky girls and to happiness i am a wicked wretch no doubt to be happy under such circumstances but i am or at any rate as happy as anybody can hope to be in this world there is always a thorn among the flowers she sighed as if the thorn was a big one i thought i suppose i shall never see you again she said when we say good-bye presently it will be farewell for ever i told her that was not inevitable i was my own mistress free to choose my friends i told her that if ever she had need of a friend i would go to her i felt that i was in some wise answerable for the bad turn her life had taken for had i been a more judicious counsellor i might have guided her better might have prevented her coming into collision with her father i asked her for her address but she told me she had promised to tell nobody where she lived we are living out of the world she said we have no visitors no friends or acquaintance she clasped my hands kissed me and hurried away to rejoin the man whose name i never learned he lifted his hat to me and the girls and they walked away together towards the star and garter leaving us standing by thompson's seat staring idly at the landscape in the summer sunlight i felt dazed as i stood there looking down into that lovely valley it had been a terrible shock to me to meet her again under such circumstances End of chapter fifteen